0: What are some of the biggest fertility myths that you'd like to share? Fertility is a woman's problem. Why would men need to know about fertility? Because of course it's a woman's problem. And that is something I hear so often. And if it's not said, it's Mm -hmm. unspoken. I was in the fertility clinic and I I had a couple and... The lady was 25 and the gentleman was 35. Mm-hmm. We were going through the blood test and investigations of the female. Everything looked fine, looked normal. Okay. Blood test, normal. Hormones Good normal. stuff. So everything was looking yeah. great. Then from looking at the woman, we then look at the man and we look at the sperm. And there was an issue with the sperm. And there was almost a shift in the atmosphere. And this couple were of a particular culture. And I find that in some cultures, it is very much the woman's responsibility to bear the children and to have responsibility of the children You could see that this man was really upset and angry that perhaps he was It was his fault for the infertility but of course it's no one's fault right. But he perceived it like that because for him it was it was his wife's duty to to, to bear the children and, mm-hmm. and he said, oh no, but she's the one that needs the extra tests, she's the one that needs more scans Not to ask people, you mm-hmm. know uh, when are you having children? Uh, why aren't you having children? Have you thought about children? It's a very personal decision and it's something that should come from a couple or a woman. It shouldn't be forced upon them to ask the question. I think it's heartbreaking is seeing women at age 40 who've had a very successful career. Um, and the one particular um, patient I was dealing with was she's a top lawyer. She um, had basically got to the top of her path and now wanted children she'd been through four or five cycles of ivf which she funded herself not only does it have not only does it have the financial Mm -hmm. um price on it but it's also so emotionally draining for you to go through a cycle hoping for a baby and it can result in failure in miscarriage and and pain um in all senses of the word hi everyone
1: and welcome to episode 5 of Figuring Out. I'm your host, jamal Pemadu. In today's episode, we'll be speaking to Dr. Ravina Bano, an NHS doctor who works very closely in the field of fertility. In this conversation, we'll be talking about fertility myths, miscarriages, IVF, egg freezing, period pain, and many such related topics, some of which I could personally relate to given my age and as a woman. That said, I do recognise that some of these topics can be quite sensitive, so we'll try to keep it as factual and educative as much as possible, and hopefully there will be something for you to take away from here. On a separate note, if you have been enjoying these conversations, it would mean the world to me if you could please leave a review and subscribe, whether that's on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, as I keep on building momentum from this new project. With that said, let's get into today's episode.
2: Ravina, hi,
0: and hi, Gemma. How hey. are you? <laughs> Good.
2: Um, we had a bit of a tech issue, but finally resolved, so we can have this chat. Thank you very much for taking the time to come down today, and welcome to Figuring Out. I'm super excited to talk to you. Maybe just um, just as a caveat to my to whoever's listening to us. We will be talking about a few themes um, from fertility to to period to infertility rate and so on. So it could be quite sensitive to some guests, uh, but equally very excited to have your insights and hopefully this will be a very educative chat. So before we get started,
0: let me hear about you. Tell us a little bit more about yourself. So thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. And um, so just... A little bit about me. I'm Ravina. I'm a NHS doctor. I'm working in the NHS and I'm also specialised in women's health. I'm the founder of Zonas Fertility and and I'm an NHS clinical entrepreneur as well. Um, In the past, I've worked in lots of different roles. So I've worked in strategy for the Department of Health, for the government, and also with um, some femtech companies like uh, Yopi. And I've worked as a medical advisor for them. Uh, But the thing that I'm most passionate about is being a social media educator on all things women's health so educating not just women but mm-hmm. also men True. on um on all these sort of taboo topics that no one likes to talk about and i do that via youtube podcast and also on uh, instagram at Dr. Ravina.
2: Great. And I love how the term social media educator I actually interviewed um, Shikha, who is a dermatologist, but she also talked about the term social media educator. And I love how obviously sometimes you have the negative terms that comes along with influencer and so on. Mm. But there's so much education that gets done throughout those different platforms. I love the term and love the work that's been done there. Um, how did you know growing up? How did you learn in this field and how did you know that you wanted to address themes
0: or like you said like taboos about fertility mm. and so on how, how did that come to you yeah it's a good question and um, and those of you that know much about medicine and the field of training to become a doctor you know it's a very long process and um, you're going through hospital jobs you're rotating every six months doing night shifts and weekend shifts and you basically go through so many different different specialities in the hospital and you know, some some people just know from the moment they become doctors exactly what they want to do. I wasn't that person. <laughs> I was going through lots of different things. Oh, I like this. I like this. Don't like that. Right. And, and it was only really until I was working in um, obstetrics and gynecology. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, the labor ward. When I found that, for, for those of you that know, it is one of the most difficult rotas it, you are working you know up to 14 to 16 hours a day you're on call every day it's a really tough environment to work in but despite that I loved it I loved working with women I loved being a part of the journey that women mm-hmm. were going through when they came in and um, with their you know their waters that had just broken about to go into labor or you know even the sad sides of things where women are really struggling to conceive right. and I felt that I could make such an impact on them mental on their mental health their physical health their emotional health just by giving them a little bit more information about what's going on in their bodies Mm -hmm. and i just found you know if you can just do something so small for a woman and a couple it actually has such a huge impact on their life and i really felt that that was what was making me what was bringing happiness for my day Uh, despite it being a really crazy time in in labor ward running from here to that delivery c-sections and water births Despite all of that, it was un- fundamentally it's the people that you work with and dealing with women who are going through difficult times is what really um, I-, I felt I felt I could give the biggest impact towards yeah.
2: I love I love I love the <laughs> energy that's coming from you especially I think I think with this obviously with quality fertility with someone like about to go into labor obviously mm. can be scary can be sad stories as well and I love mm. like the energy that you have around the job that you do but equally like all these different women that you maybe could be working with mm. and and coming on to this so one of the things that we wanted to talk is obviously the fertility myth and there are quite a few and I suppose within your remit within your professional remit there's probably quite a few that you've come across Mm -hmm. what are some of the biggest fertility myths that you'd like to share okay
0: fertility is a woman's problem why would talk about that why would men need to know about fertility because of course it's a woman's problem and that is something I hear so often. And if it's not said, it's mm-hmm. unspoken. And I see it in consultations with couples who come in to the fertility clinic. Or sometimes actually it is just the woman that comes to the appointments okay. and, and, and mm-hmm. they come on their own. And it's actually one of the few consultations where we really like the woman to, you know, bring in and talk to someone else about their health. Of course, healthcare is confidential, but this is one of the key consultations where we need both both um man and woman present, and you know same sex couples as well, so right. or single mothers for that for that so um it was it's I went through an experience yesterday, I was in the fertility clinic, and I had a um I had a couple, and the lady was twenty five and and the gentleman was thirty five mm-hmm. there was a ten year difference right, and we were going through the blood test and the investigations of the female. We looked through her tubes, we looked through the scans of her her uterus mm-hmm. her womb. Everything looked fine, looked normal. Blood test, normal. Hormones, Good stuff. So everything was looking great. Then from looking at the woman, we then look at the man and we look at the sperm. So every man will go through a sperm analysis. We'll look at the sperm underneath the microscope and then decide if there's a good quantity, quality, if the sperm can swim. Sort of those kind of parameters. And there was an issue with the sperm. And... There was almost a shift in the atmosphere when mm-hmm. um, we discussed actually it's a sperm related issue this is a male factor subfertility right and that's something I'll come on to um and this couple were of a particular culture, and I find that in some cultures it is very much the woman's responsibility to bear the children and to have responsibility of the children and I felt. Perhaps themes of that were coming through in this consultation. Mm-hmm. And and he felt, and I and I could, just reflecting on it, I could see that this man was really upset and angry that perhaps he was, it was his fault for the infertility, but of course it's no one's fault. Right. But he perceived it like that. Because for him, it was it was the wife's duty to, to, to bear the children. And, mm-hmm. and he said, oh no, but she's the one that needs the extra tests. She's the one that needs more scans.
2: And Without very, questioning that it could actually be the man's problem. Because exactly. scientifically and biologically, it could be... But it's, to your earlier point, it's so unspoken about. So yes. it tends to literally fall on the woman every single time.
0: Yeah. and, and Or no, majority no, of cases, I should exactly. say. Exactly. And and I, I don't think anyone's to blame for this, because in so many cultures, uh, whether it's South American, whether it's Asian, whether it's African, mm-hmm. women are the, the, the homemakers, that the childbearers, historically, very much changed in modern day society. And they're the ones who are thought to be in charge of Having children. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, that's not the case. And then if I compare that sort of historic uh, cultural uh, view to modern day medicine, we know that if we look at all the people that are infertile, we can split Sort of the reasons into into quarters. So, 25% of reasons for infertility is uh, male factor infertility. Okay. And the other 25% is issues with over ov- ovulation. So, right. um, PCOS or um, just not ovulating regularly. The other 25% is to do with the fallopian tubes. Mm -hmm. So that's how the egg travels down the tubes and into the womb. Right. So you can actually dissect the problem. You can dissect the problem. And then the last 25% of the pie is something that is unexplained. And and that's something that medicine can't explain. Mm -hmm. So one in four couples who are infertile, we can't tell them why. It's it's just something that medicine can't explain yet.
2: Interesting. And... Actually, this reminds me of... I don't know if you watched a movie, My Cousin Vini. It's like an old classic. But mm. there is um, there is a particular scene in there where um, the lead character... So it's nothing to do with fertility as such. But mm. there's a scene in there where the lead character, she talks with her partner about how the marriage talk has been delayed over and over mm. over the years. It's mm. a funny scene. And mm. then at some point, in a moment of frustration, she goes... My biological clock is ticking and that's mm. going, I mean, I'm sure like memes didn't exist at the time, but that was mm. one of the very famous lines. And yes. that brings me on to my next question, which is with age comes a question about fertility, right? Mm. I'm now 30, so I don't know whether, you know, obviously I'm thinking of having a family in a couple of years, but what, irrespective of a partner or not a partner at this stage, I don't mm. think I'm emotionally Ready to have a kid, for instance, and obviously, around the world of work, you, you are surrounded by women who maybe are delaying the family conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And who knows, in three, four years, where I am perhaps going for fertility test, you never know, touch wood, but you never know what awaits you, right? Yes. But still, there is a broader question of scientifically, there is a sort of ballpark age in terms of. When does your fertility
0: rate start decreasing? Mm. What are your thoughts mm. on that one? Yeah, this is a good question, a very good question, because everyone likes to ask that question. No one likes the answer. <laughs> so it's a, it's a difficult It's a bit one. of a reality check. It's a reality check. But I, what I'll do is let's just go th- sort of through from the beginning of mm-hmm. a woman's life. Right. So we are born and we are grown in our mother's womb. And as a fetus, every woman, when they are in, their mother's womb, they will develop their pelvic organs, being their ovaries. And those ovaries are like a gold mine of all the eggs you will ever need in your entire life. So actually, when you're still a fetus, you've got all the eggs you'll ever need. Mm-hmm. Which I find quite mind-blowing because your mother will carry you, and, you, and, you carrying and, and eggs. you're carrying the <laughs> eggs of your future children, which is just medicine. Just and sm- as you
2: ovulate, and as you get older, the number of eggs that you would be having will be decreasing, right? Exactly.
0: And then so you're born with about a million eggs. Mm-hmm. And then you get to puberty, and you'll, you'll gradually have a decline, just as you sort of shed cells on your skin or your hair falls out. You'll naturally lose eggs, right. even if you haven't started your period and therefore haven't ovulated yet. But you naturally lose eggs. But of course, you only need one egg to have a baby so okay. even if you've got a million but you only need the one the one or, fertile one the one fertile egg right. exactly so that's fine to lose some and then we get to um sort of puberty and that's when you start to release one egg every single month and that will be when you have your period you'll have a period and then halfway through your cycle you ovulate and release mm-hmm. an egg and then we get to sort of age 30 and we know that at age 30 we will start to have a a slightly quicker decline in our egg count and and that is something that does gradually sort of decrease so between sort of 30 and 35 they're quite pivotal Mm -hmm. that's quite a pivotal drop in your egg count after that something that we are quite sort of quite interested in knowing in the fertility clinic is post 35 the age is important because the criteria for things like ivf and the success of fertility treatments becomes one less successful but two the funding for it in the nhs will um depending on where you are living and the the sort of the ccg the funding Mm -hmm. of that area um will differ and so in some areas that's up to 40 in some areas that's up to 42 but it's a critical time because we need the success rate to be much more um than than it can be at age forty. It's something we like to we like to capture sooner rather than later so Mm -hmm. we can give women and couples the best possible chance of a successful IVF. It's heartbreaking to see people go through cycles and cycles of IVF and it just not be successful. And but we know that happens with age. Now don't get me wrong, I think you know in this modern day we all (laughs) like to we need we need to climb the career ladder. We want to sort of of course uh, we want to build our dreams and our ambitions but Mother Nature is what it is, and we are just human beings. So no matter how much we advance medicine, our bodies are our bodies. And once you sort of get to that perimenopausal stage, mm-hmm. you, you, you can't really get your fertility back. It's not There's not like a treatment for it as right. such. It's just the way we are. And if you go back, you know, perhaps 20, 30 years ago, we were having children at a younger age. Mm-hmm. Um, and and society has changed, but our bodies haven't.
2: That's a good way of putting it. Also, maybe um, as a reminder, maybe for whoever's listening, I guess with that also comes the natural question of some people's maybe do not want kids. And Mm. I think it is an interesting conversation. Like, for instance, I have someone very close to me um, who's now past her mid 30s. And Mm. sometimes she comes up with, you know, whenever we go out for dinner, obviously, there tend to be people who would question, you know, when are you having a baby and so on? And I always go, let's take a step back. But do you even want a kid, right? Because mm. sometimes you've just got to bring it down. Some people may not really want a kid and that's fine. Like, absolutely. Obviously, if you do want a kid, then maybe come comes more pressing questions, fertility, your age and so on. What's what's your status? terms so do you want a partner? Do you not want a partner? Do you want to do it yourself? Whether you're emotionally, financially ready and so on. Yes. But then just as a reminder, I think in today's world it's a bit of a harder questions because we do have women who probably do not want kids and that's fine i mm-hmm. think with that comes the whole idea of female empowerment but also being able to take your own decisions. so a little bit a little word of support for whoever did
0: not want her to have kids yes percent, um, and to whoever's dealing with the infertility issue as well 100 it's we're a changing society and mm-hmm. it's not a given that you want kids For so many reasons, as you've mentioned, emotionally, financial, uh, environmentally, Mm -hmm. you know, there's so many reasons why people don't want children and and it isn't something to be expected from people. I I actually, I I try and refrain and I always encourage people never to ask. Yeah, imagine even um, you're very close to the issue, right? Not to ask people, Mm -hmm. you know. Uh, when are you having children? Uh, why aren't you having children? Have you thought about children? It's a very personal decision and it's something that should come from a couple or a woman. It shouldn't be forced upon them to answer the question. 100% I think it definitely needs to come from them but also it's just a question respecting other
2: people's boundaries and comfort yes. level because you never yeah. know who's going for what. And I think um, in today's in today's as well is sometimes a bit of a reminder to remind other people not to ask the question. Mm-hmm. Um, with that, I, do, I did want to ask: um, Do you do you think that being on a pill or having, for instance, the coil,
0: um, does that in pack the fertility rate really good question so i always get questions about contraception Mm -hmm. uh, whether it's on youtube or instagram and i get sort of direct messages saying look i'm thinking about the contraception what should i go for is it going to affect my fertility and it's something i like to educate about because i think it's really daunting to make that decision because Mm -hmm. there's just so many options right right you get condoms you get pills you get coils you get injections um just just so many things so in terms of what affects your fertility Coils will not okay. and the pill whether it's the progesterone only pill or whether it's the combined pill which contains estrogen and progesterone will not affect your fertility however the progesterone injection so this is something that um many women have after they've had children okay and it's an injection you get every 12 to 14 weeks Uh, It's sort of in the bottom in the thigh. And that is something that can delay your periods by a year. So we decide sort of not to give that to women who are thinking to have children in the next couple of years because we don't want them to not be able to have children Mm -hmm. if they want it, you know, in the next six months because we can't guarantee that the periods will come back straight away
2: because i think even with pills like coming off the pill or maybe that's the coil actually Mm -hmm. so do correct me but that's what i've read or heard but like coming off the coil i think takes a bit of time for
0: your period to regulate right yes it can take some time for you know even coming off the pill or the coil it can take time for the pill to regulate um sorry for your cycles to regulate but you can still get pregnant so as soon as you stop taking the pill you can get pregnant and it's actually it, it, it happens quite often where women say you know um Um, I've stopped breastfeeding and I'm I'm now looking for contraception uh, because if you're fully breastfeeding that actually works as contraception you don't need contraception if you're fully breastfeeding after you've had a child and some women they, they just have a period of time where they don't have anything and it's their fertile period where they just quickly get pregnant after having a I know a someone
2: actually I actually know someone who had a child yeah. was breastfeeding yeah. thought she wouldn't get pregnant mm. and perhaps had that period of she was not breastfeeding to your point yeah she actually got pregnant for a second time
0: yes and it's a, a time where you, you haven't quite we, we always encourage women to think about contraception early because it's a lot for a, a couple to have you know a, a kid straight away especially I'm if sure. they weren't expecting mm-hmm. it and also for the uh, anatomically for the womb to uh, sort of go back to his original size and then to Hold a baby again; it needs time to to recover and to sort of regenerate the cells. So it's not something we we necessarily say, say is the best thing. So it's, it's a very fertile time. Um, even if you are, they may not even have their periods back, but they can still get pregnant. It, this is interesting because
2: I actually it, um, had. Um... I had a client drink um, on Monday mm. and someone brought up the breastfeeding and that you couldn't fall pregnant. And mm. we were talking about someone who actually felt pregnant. Mm. And it was interesting because that came from a man and there was a, bit of a, there was a bit of a laughing and cynicism to it, but like, oh, she thought she wouldn't get pregnant to it. And that also was something that I didn't know. I was like, oh, really? So whoever is perhaps taking a new factor away, that is something I hadn't thought of. So interesting factor. Yeah,
0: it's a, it's a very specific criteria. So it can only be six months- fully breastfeeding, no formula milk, and you can't have had your period back yet. So if you fall within those three sort of criteria, then it's pretty much ninety over 95% um, sort of protection against pregnancy during that time. Got it. So the NHS says that
2: one in seven couples suffer infertility. Mm-hmm. And um, even the World Health Organization has categorizing fertility as a disease. With that, obviously, we've talked about um infertility we've talked about uh, the different issues that comes with um that come with that egg freezing is something mm. that i've heard people talking of mm. as uh in my group of friends um we've actually had someone who's mentioning to her mum, and her mom went her mom didn't really appreciate where that was coming from um mm. she's in her late 20s and mm. she's decided to talk about the egg freezing process and so obviously with that people tend to think why are why are you not giving yourself the means to maybe go out there put yourself out there find a partner go Mm. through the natural you know marriage babies and so on Mm. but egg freezing i think it's scientific revolution but Mm. equally it is quite expensive Mm. um isn't this something that perhaps um should be more considered by the general population because granted you could be meeting someone today Mm. doesn't mean you're going to get forget marriage or not but doesn't mean you're going to get settled down maybe in six months maybe you want to take your time to find their partner get to know the person maybe it takes two years but two years from here who knows what your fertility chances could be
0: do you think egg freezing is something we should talk more openly about yes of course we should be we should be talking about fertility we should be talking about um what periods are and, and all the causes of subfertility. These are all things that no one talks about. Mm-hmm. So, yes, we should be opening up the conversation for sure. Because what I think is heartbreaking is seeing women at age 40 who've had a very successful career. The um, one particular um, patient I was dealing with was she's a top lawyer. She um, had Basically, got to the top of her career path and now wanted children. She'd been through four or five cycles of IVF, which she funded herself. And
2: energy um, is expensive, right? It I, feel, is expensive. I I've read about I don't know seven to eight grand maybe for one egg freezing
0: trial, and you don't even yeah. know how many successful eggs you
2: can exactly. have from that.
0: Exactly, and and going through each of those cycles is very not only is it has have, have the, it, not only does it have the financial. Mm-hmm. Um, price on it but it's also so emotionally draining for you to go through a cycle hoping for a baby and it can result in failure in miscarriage and and pain um in all senses of the word so so it is really heartbreaking to see that on the end of the sort of reproductive side of a woman's um, um at the end of their reproductive life which is around pre, pre mm-hmm. perimenopause so Yes, I think we need to be talking about it sooner. I think at the moment, um, something that people don't know about is a condition called uh, premature ovarian failure. Now, this is uh, shortened to POF, and it's something that affects about one in a thousand women. It's where they get menopause much earlier than the average age in this country, Mm -hmm. which is age 51. And so they go into menopause perhaps at age 30.
1: Oh wow,
2: okay.
0: Yes. And this is something that runs in families. So you, you may it's more know, genetic. More genetic. So mm-hmm. you may know from your mother when she started having perimenopausal symptoms and maybe from the grandmother, sister, auntie. And it's something to be aware of and to talk about specifically if you have that in your family. Right. In that situation, one hundred percent you should be considering egg freezing if you don't have any plan for children in the near future. Mm-hmm. Because as I said, once you hit menopause, we can't just bring eggs back. Right. Um, And of course, even if you are around perimenopause, you may have eggs, but the quality of Of the the eggs eggs may Mm -hmm. not necessarily be as good as a 25 year old. And then that puts you in risk of genetic uh, conditions for baby, whether that be Down syndrome, the chances of that is much higher as -hmm. you get older. So, yes, egg freezing, definitely something to talk about. Um, But it's not something you necessarily need to jump to at age 25. We we, we do have. Mm-hmm. You, there's still a very high chance of getting pregnant without any medical intervention. Um, you, you know, even up to age 35. But we still need to be aware of what's going on in our bodies, and that's something I'm doing with Zonas Fertility because I think it's important that women know more about their bodies and have information about their bodies, so mm-hmm. they feel empowered to make these decisions and not sort of just taking a stab in the dark about when they'll fall pregnant.
2: On that, so that's interesting because um we mentioned it like crazy and at the risk of sounding ignorant here. I yeah. didn't know about early menopause and mm-hmm. I was listening to this podcast and um there was one um celebrity, I think she was like on Love Island, something like Amy Hart. Um, she's been very public about this. She talked about her early menopause and that it was to your point genetic. So she found out because her mum has had it, so okay. she went for a fertility test, M O T maybe. Mm-hmm. So is there something to, to this um to this effect that you can take? So irrespective of you knowing or wanting to have a kid say in five years but at this stage other than smears, for instance that's more on the preventive side and nothing mm. to do with fertility mm. is there anything in the uk that says okay you can actually go for a fertility test without you committing yourself to a very expensive egg freezing process for instance
0: yeah so and um, i can tell you about a bit about zonas fertility mm-hmm. as fertility isn't a fertility test but it will tell you about the quality the quantity of your egg count So it will tell you if you have a good number of eggs and the way we do that is by measuring a type of hormone it's called the anti-malarian hormone and that is excreted from your ovaries so it gives you a good idea Mm -hmm. of whether you have a good ovarian reserve so how many eggs are left um and this is something as i mentioned earlier this drops with time so the egg count will drop over years right um but if you know if you're going through if you're taking treatment, if you're on medication, if you smoke, you drink, depending on your BMI, that can influence what your AMH levels are and therefore have, a, have an impact on your egg count and your egg quality. So um, checking your hormone levels is probably the first thing you can do to make sure okay. that you're in, you know you're in a good space and that you are ovulating regularly. And the other thing which is super important and something you can just do at home is tracking your periods having regular periods and Mm -hmm. knowing how long your cycles are and when you are likely to ovulate is so invaluable um for those of um those people that are looking to get pregnant right because you can time your intercourse around your fertile window of course and you do Mm -hmm. just need very regular periods and even if they aren't very regular but you can you are having sort of periods every two months at least Mm -hmm. um you, you can get pregnant without anyone sort of doing any medical procedures right.
2: sometimes you go to a gp form any could be any random health check and they go when was your last period and go oh hang on i don't remember let me check the dates and unless you've marked it even for a simple yes. process like that you sometimes forget to do it um yes. good reminder to, to do yes. that um talking of periods so um, women tend to to suffer at different stages of life calling from your period to pregnancy and so mm. on
1: mm. um
2: increasingly we've been hearing of period leave that i wanted to address in Mm -hmm. this podcast so we've had countries from japan taiwan and you've legislated a period leave um i think in the uk definitely we don't have that yet but Mm -hmm. spain might be the first western country who's thinking of uh, bringing that up any thoughts on period leave are you for it are you against it obviously Mm -hmm. i can presume um what could be the answer there but Mm
0: -hmm. i think it is definitely one that seems to be divided the internet. It's a good question and um, it's a difficult one to answer. Mm -hmm. But from the medical side of things, I'll tell you a little bit about um, from my my side. So what I've seen is that women need leave because of pain. And pain can be experienced in many different ways to many different people. So you may break your leg and experience pain Mm -hmm. and you can see the fracture. Right. With period pain, you may not be able to see anything it doesn't mean that women don't experience it mm-hmm. pain as a concept is being researched every day in the medical field and what we do know is that people will have the pain stimuli being interpreted differently and we have receptors called nociceptors okay. in our body and they tell us if there's danger so if you touch something hot it will tell you that it's hot and okay. that's how our brain processes danger However, some people have more sensitive receptors, so they will feel pain more so than others. Mm -hmm. And similarly, in your uterus, which is your womb, it has a muscle around it. That's your uterine muscle. And this can contract more so in some women than others when they're having menstruation. And that is that pain of the contraction that causes women to have the, the bloating and the abdominal pain and the back pain. And this can differ from woman to woman. So just because one person doesn't have any period pain doesn't mean that will be the same for every woman mm-hmm. because we all interpret it different. And also our body reacts to pain differently. Also, we have something called a prostaglandin, which is basically a chemical that gets released into our muscle and that causes the contractions to be more so. So, you know, we don't, we can't sort of have one blanket rule for everyone. What I think. I think the way that working culture is moving to at the moment across different industries is flexible working. So whether that's... um, Working from home Yeah, exactly. Working from home or going into the office or having adaptations in the office place. So you can perhaps have a place which is a bit more comfortable and not in, you know, on your feet all day or at the desk all day. Having that adaptability in the workplace is what we need to strive for. So, you know, I think only... Quite recently, workplaces are having tampons and pads being in the toilets. Maternity leave's always been there. Paternity leave is being extended. Mm -hmm. There's so many things that can occur in the office place that are slow, but they are getting there. And I think something like period leave or uh, menopausal leave because of extreme symptoms is something we need to definitely consider because we need to retain our highly educated and... um, and powerful women in the workplace, and if we can't make a you know a constructive environment for them mm. to work, then we're losing half the workforce.
2: Yeah, and it's interesting because um, obviously everyone body reacts differently. But in my circle of friends alone, like I don't have I'm in touch with, but I don't have any period pain. Mm. And every time I hear my girlfriend's talking of period pain, I mean I do suffer from bloating, which is interesting because I never used to, and it's been two years. Like now and tell my mom like couple of days before my period you can look at me i would be looking like a three months pregnant woman like Mm. honestly and then like once my period goes once my period is over i'm like oh it goes back to being a normal tummy yeah and that that to me was a bit shocking because i've taken pictures i'm like i need to show this to my gp because that's not normal at all Mm. but who knows but anyway bloating is something i've started suffering from but then i hear my other girlfriends talk of their period pain and i don't and Mm. sometimes you tend to forget how much it can be a different pain threshold for everyone, yeah. And I think with period uh, with period leave, I do, I do see that. Um, I mean, I do see why some people could react to it in a negative way because I suppose if you do have a period leave, you sort of make it a bit of a legislation perhaps. That would be like two months a, a month, or two, sorry, two days a month, or three three days a mm, month. Mm. But equally, I think there are ways to compensate for that. You could be working overtime on days where you feel physically better, emotionally better. You yeah. could be working from home as well. You don't have to go in, but you could be at home with a
0: hot water bottle and be sitting at your desk and do the work. So yeah. I'm all in favor for it, but who knows? We'll watch flexibility. With that. I think is key. Um, I think it's hard to put legislation in, but I'm not a politician, and I think every industry has its own way of working. Mm-hmm. In hospital, you're on your feet all day in corporate jobs, you may be at your desk all day, every workplace needs to find a medium. Mm -hmm. Um and and it's not about just sort of having a blanket rule. We need to be adaptable for each person that walks into the office or the hospital or the wherever you are that you're working.
2: And with that also comes the education part of it, which hopefully now is starting at a younger age. Mm. I do remember my mum and my, my aunt who we're very close to she's seen us growing up but she sat my my sister and I she sat they sat us down, talked to us about period mm-hmm. when we were like, you know, eight, nine years old, what it could be like menstruation and so on. So I had mm-hmm. the first talk at home and then at school one day the school principal basically called all the girls into her office and had the chat. And then I remember the guys wanting to know what that was about. And we were, like, so secretive about it. And then we were like, oh, no, this is something that's just specific to girls. Like, we can't mm. share it. You know, it felt something that had to be taboo. But also, mm. it felt like this was something that was meant to be for girls only. And I feel now there's obviously sex education. Mm. Um, but equally, whether you've got a brother and so on at home, I think mm. that conversation is starting to take place. Mm. Um, do you think or... Given your interactions with with patients, with men and women, do you think there's something that's missing in sex education
0: at schools or something that's mm-hmm. not being talked of at an early age? 100%. When I was at school, we had sex education, but mm-hmm. we didn't have women's health education. And that's an ed- education for everyone. If men don't know what periods are or why their sisters, their mothers, their wives, their daughters are in agonizing pain every month, then we've got a problem because we need men and women to work together. And if men are being excluded from the conversation, then we can't achieve anything. So when women are being taught about periods, why aren't men? They need to know about how to deal with a woman if she's going through a miscarriage mm-hmm. or infertility because it affects both parties. Right. Um... So, yes, it's not just sex education, but we need to talk about yes, we need to talk about how to have safe sex and why why stis or pelvic inflammatory disease is important, so having lots of sexually transmitted infections can lead to disease in a woman's pelvis, which can then lead to infertility. So if we're not protecting if we're not protecting women and men aren't using protection and women aren't using protection, mm-hmm. then we've got a problem for couples, so this is a big conversation that needs to be had. Um, across every boy and man so that women can feel empowered to talk to their brothers, husbands, partners granddads and it shouldn't be a taboo topic no, not at all Something that actually
2: shocked me was, um, I think that might happen in India. Mm. So you know how the adverts for the sanitary pads, Mm. you have the gel that comes onto the pad, but that's blue, right? Mm. Um, There was a little girl in India who actually for the moment she'll have a period, the first time she'll have a period, her blood will be blue of color just because of the ads. And that's mm. interesting because the ads I've seen growing up as well was also portraying the gel coming onto the pad and being of blue color. But that was interesting to me, and I was like, hang on, I think there's something cr- still missing in, in the sex education part of it. And that was a bit of a reminder. I was like, okay, that was that could be a bit shocking, but I could see where her thinking process
0: could come from. It, it just goes back to where we get where are we getting our information from? Mm-hmm. We're getting it from adverts that are perhaps outdated. We're getting adverts that are made from corporations that have men who are at the top who aren't perhaps they aren't educated we need to get people in the right places so that we're educating people and that's why i feel so passionate about showing people teaching them about contraception online because that's where everyone is people people come to the office and come to the clinic and say i've read this on google and they've told this is what i've learned from google i've been and then,
2: coding so many things i've read on google to you just you
0: now <laughs> the thing is That's fine, and I think it's absolutely excellent that people are taking Mm -hmm. ownership of their health and they're coming to their appointments armed with knowledge. We want our people, we want patients to be educated, but not with the wrong information. And what I sometimes find is, look, you've read this on Google, I can't compete with that because what you've read is wrong and i'm teaching you the science but because they've read it and they've gone into articles and articles which aren't scientifically backed that aren't based on recent research and research is changing every day right we are now competing with people that are reading wrong information so where are people getting their information from if it's not a right reputable source then we're actually causing a disservice to society where they're just reading wrong things they're learning to use products even you know female health products so many of them are marketed towards women but they can actually cause issues with the vagina they can cause vaginal discharge they can cause infections Mm -hmm. um and and it's it's an issue because this is what people are watching and this is what they think they need i need that product i need that scent for my female health but actually so much of it is just not correct
2: so so educative. thank you for that and Mm -hmm. with that my very last question that i tend Mm. to ask all my guests Mm. given the title of the podcast figuring out what is the one thing that you think you've figured out so far or what's the one thing you've left to figure out in life okay
0: i would say um this this is quite a general question i guess so i i won't keep it just women's health related i would say the harder you work the luckier you are and I find this in many different aspects. So I'm a big believer of if you sort of strive towards something, mm-hmm. things will work around you. The universe will help things to happen. So opportunities will come into your into your lap. And if you work towards something, a, a road will open up to go down that way. Um, lots of people say, you know, I'm working. It really happens hard, by luck, and it's just you right. know just happened, you mm-hmm. know. But actually, it's not. There is is about ninety-nine percent hard work and that one percent luck will come it's sweat come come through to you and that will be you know that will lead to another opportunity and another opportunity. Um so it's really about just putting yourself out there, getting yourself out of your comfort zone and not just being comfortable with where you are. Work hard towards something and something else will follow mm-hmm. through
2: right mm-hmm. i think yeah you're very right you've got to work for it not just manifest it manifest it, but work, work for, for it. it yeah ravina it was so refreshing talking to you i've learned so much from you oh, and i love you. the energy that you've got about everything that you've been talking um mm-hmm. it can be a very sensitive topics sometimes
0: but yes. i love the energy you've got around it so thank you very much for taking the time and joining me on this chat today i appreciate talking to you thank you Gemma. it's been an absolute pleasure and as i said if anyone has any questions happy for them to contact me on instagram at dr.ravina thank you I'm sure they will.